Well, good morning. Uh, so Tuesday, this coming Tuesday, will be four years since my dad passed away. Um, and for those of you who don't know, my dad uh, <clears throat> basically had kidney cancer that turned into stage four bone cancer. And about the time he got diagnosed with bone cancer is the time this song came out. And I remember that statement, that my heart will cry, these bones will sing. Dad, <laughs> sorry. Here's the beauty of it. <laughs> I haven't cried like this since my dad passed away. <laughs> um, That's the very thing God calls us to do, right? Yeah. Like to cry out in worship, and that when I don't cry out in worship, right, that all the earth is going to do it because God's going to get his glory one way or the other, and so the reality is that we're called to worship, and so like this was not intended, sorry, I didn't know this song was going to be even played, um, it's one of those ones that just kind of gets to me every time because it does bring up good memories, and I can tell you that I haven't teared up like this or cried um, like I said, probably since my dad's funeral. Um, but, dude, this is, this is what I'm passionate about. And I want you to know this. Now, matter of fact, I want you to say this, that God's got more. God's got more. Because here's the reality of what's going on in your life, that God has more. That so many times we settle for second best. So many times we settle for being mediocre. So many times we settle for just getting by. So many times we settle for what the world says is success when God says, I've got so much more. And I want you to experience so much more, but yet we so easily just give it all and say, here you go. This is what we got and this is all I've got and this is all I'm gonna give when the reality is God has called us to so much more. Because God has so much more. And you get to experience life, abundant life that God talks about. And for some reason in our minds, our minds have gone to this idea of abundant life being all about money and success when the reality is God says, if you walk in obedience to me, that's the abundant life I've called you to. And so as I jump in today, we're, we're going to be talking about desperate times, call for desperate disciples. That's the sermon title today. And I want you to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, you're probably going to get a two-hour sermon now that I'm fired up. Sorry, I'm joking. <laughs> Completely joking, but not necessarily, all right? So, <laughs> Mark chapter 8, if you would stand with me as we read God's Word. We're going to start in verse 31. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen above. It's going to be right there with you. Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 31. I want to let you know what's going on. Matter of fact, we talked about this not too long ago. The disciples had come, and Jesus says, hey, who do people say that I am? And they answered a question, right? And then he says, who do you say that I am? And they answered a question. You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And then he comes to verse 31, and he says, he then began to teach who? Them. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things. Now, that them is the disciples, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. And it says he spoke plainly about this. And listen to what Peter does. I love Peter, right? Peter's got good intentions, right? Peter had good intentions all along. Jesus, I'll never deny you, but I'm going to bring you aside and rebuke you because this is what he says. He says he spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. 
Now, it is no light thing as a disciple to ever rebuke the person who's discipling you. That's like a big deal, right? Like, that's like, you know, a child coming to mom and dad and being like, here, here, here. <laughs> just doesn't happen that often, all right? Verse 33, but Jesus, or when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, listen to what happens, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then he called the crowd to him, along with his disciples, and he said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, and this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you speak to us through your word. God, that we hear your words, that we listen to them, and we apply them directly to our lives so that we can be disciples who go and make disciples of other nations, other people. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. God, forgive me. Think about or answer this question when I ask this. Are you a disciple of Jesus? And then ask this other question. Are you discipling others? Because I want you to think about this from the biblical perspective of what Jesus did. When Jesus left, right, if you had your last statements you could ever make to anybody, what would that statement be? Some of you may have that idea. If I was ever to die, here's what I want people to know. Here's what people to remember. And Jesus, before he goes to heaven, he's, he's died, he rose again, he's getting ready to return to the Father, and he comes to his disciples and he tells them, listen, I've got this thing. It's called what we call the great commandment. And he says, I want you to do this. And he tells them, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me, and now here's what I want you to do. Go and make disciples. Now, here's the problem with the American church, or here's the problem with the church in general oftentimes, is we look at that and we go, well, that's the pastor's job. You're to make disciples. Or that's such and such's job. He's to make disciples. When Jesus lays it out to this, to all of his disciples right there at that time, he says, you are to go and make disciples. And for some reason, that part has gotten kind of crossed. It's become this idea within the mindset of people in the church that that's not really what God really meant. Or discipleship really became this. I'm going to sit, and I'm going to listen, and I'm going to get real smart, but I'm not necessarily going to live it out because there's a lot of things that go on to living this thing out, and it's completely different. And what I want you to know is this. Just like last week, where we talked about the reality that God gave us his word so that normal every day, remember what we just even read earlier here today, and I use that verse, normal every day, what we'll call simple man could understand God's word and could apply it to their heart. And listen, here's what he, then teach others about God's word. It doesn't take a seminary degree it doesn't take a master's or a doctorate in theology in order to communicate or make disciples with those people around you. Matter of fact, if you are a parent, you are called to make disciples of your kids. Amen. That's the reality. Now, does that mean everyone's going to walk perfectly? They're never going to sin? No. That's where the problem steps in. That's where we begin to have problems, right? 
because we think that there's never going to be any sin all of a sudden when the reality is making disciples is a messy situation. Like, I use it like mechanics, okay? I grew up working on semis. And I will even say this, changing oil on a semi is completely different than changing oil on a car. On a car, you got four and a half quarts. On a semi, you got 10 to 13 gallons. And if you've ever been in a situation, which I have in the past, where we had an engine, they had some problems with the manifold and things like that, and they ended up with coolant in the oil. And so this truck comes in, and he's got steam rolling off the engine. He's like, I got a problem. I got coolant and oil. I need to get it fixed. And we're like, well, hey, we don't do that kind of overhaul. We don't pull engines. We don't rebuild them. We only do the maintenance. And he says, that's all right. Drop the oil. Give me new oil. I'll get it down the road. And literally, he's got to go 10 miles. I'll get it down to the road to the dealership, and they can deal with it. Okay, great. So I take our big catch pan that literally is on rails in our pit, and I hook it up to our drain. Now, here's the problem. That hot water mixed with that oil is steaming hot. Like, oil's already bad enough when it's hot, but you throw water in the mixture, and now I got steam rolling out the oil pan plug. And guess whose hands are there? Or face, or everything else. So I hook the drain up of the drain pan plug, or the drain catch pan. I hook up the hose to the drain plug, so it's going to drain, and I begin to drain that oil. And here's what's crazy, it just continues to pour and it continues to pour to the point where I'm guessing there had to have been between 18 and 20 gallons of stuff in this engine. I don't know how the engine didn't blow up. But I got a mess everywhere because the drain couldn't keep up with it keeping it out of the pan. So it starts splashing, going everywhere, then it starts spilling over and I'm like running. And of course, guess where you got to run? Because the front of the pit is the way out. And I pulled the plug and went to the back thinking, oh, it'll keep up with the drain. Yeah, that didn't happen. And so I ended up covered in oil and other stuff, right? Hot water, hot radiator fluid, hot antifreeze. And I want you to think about it this way. Some people in life are going to be just like that. In our lives, we're going to have a mess. And sometimes when we mix the antifreeze of the world with the oil that God wants to do in our lives, what we end up doing is we end up with a mess. And God wants to come in and make disciples. And disciples are people who, listen, learn to follow Jesus day in and day out in every circumstance and situation of their life. And so Jesus comes to his disciples here after they've identified who he is, right? After Peter has just identified as Jesus, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. And then Peter goes over and what's he do? Shame on you, Jesus. You don't go down this road. See, the answer to the issues in our culture, I believe this, the answer to the issues in our culture and in society is a return to what it means to be a disciple maker. Jesus called all of us to be disciple makers in the same manner, listen, where the Reformation put the Bible in the hands of common people, when common people are and take responsibility of ownership of the faith, the faith that you receive and given to make disciples, then we'll start to see a change in the world. In other words, when disciples of Jesus truly take on the role of disciple making, then we'll start to see a change in the world. But as long as disciples sit back and go, it's not my job, I come in, I sit in the pew, and you're going to make disciples, then we'll always miss out on the greatest change that God ever intended 
was to change people's lives through the truth of the gospel. So here's the big idea. If you remember anything else, I want you to remember this. Every believer is called to be a disciple and make disciples. And if you like to highlight or underline, no exceptions, no excuses. No get out of jail free card, right? Right, like this is it. Every disciple or every believer is called to be a disciple and to make disciples. So my goal today is to motivate us, us individually, us as a church, to motivate us to take the next step in our life. Because hear me out when I say this, God's got more. He has more for you than you can ever ask or imagine. He has more for you and intends to bless you and encourage you and equip you and help you in every trial and test and struggle in every way. So listen, one of the things we talked about last week, and I am excited to say this is the most we've ever had today, but listen, we have 26 people signed up for our Bible reading plan, and if you don't have it, you can still get it. You can grab it out there. If you don't have a phone, that's fine. Grab it out there. We've got it. It's going to come out monthly. If you haven't started, I want to encourage you to start. But if you get into this Bible reading plan, we've got 26 people so far engaged in it. And we're going to tell you, we're going to ride this hard all year. Because the first step to becoming a disciple or the first thing in being obedient is to take in more and more of God's word. And you may say, hey, I already got it. I'm doing my own Bible reading plan. Great. If you're not, download it. It's very simple. You can scan the QR code. You can get involved. You can start to read. And some of you may go, well, this has been pretty simple. It's like four or five verses a day. Yep. That's kind of the point. As a matter of fact, I would challenge you with this, parents. You don't know what to do with your kids? Have them download this. Have them do it and sit down for 15 minutes at night during dinner or after dinner or whatever and begin to talk about it and say, hey, what's God teaching you in this? Because that's exactly what discipleship is. It's reading God's word and beginning to apply it to our lives and doing it in a group format or setting. So I said that every believer is called to be a disciple and make disciples, no exceptions, no excuses. I got four things for you today, not the typical three, but four, all right? And here's number one, effective discipleship takes place with others, with others. Listen to what he says in verse 31. He began to teach them. Discipleship is always taking part in a group. It's never this Lone Ranger mentality, right? Lone Ranger had Tonto. But even then, that's not enough. But yet at the same time, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am, right? Every form of effective discipleship will take place in groups. See, I believe you miss out on true discipleship if you aren't in it with others. As a matter of fact, I want you to put it down this way. Effective discipleship takes place with others. That's teamwork, you can write down just teamwork. In other words, we grow the best together with others. That's the way it's always been in Scripture. When the going gets tough, I've got people around me to help me out, to encourage me, to challenge me, to build me up, to call me to accountability if, my, if I'm walking in sin, to, to, to point me in the right direction. As a matter of fact, if you don't like traveling alone or maybe hunting alone, or fishing alone. Maybe you don't like shopping alone or working out alone. As a matter of fact, working out, one of the best ways to work out is to work out with somebody else. Why? Because there's accountability. And likewise, in discipleship, it's the same way. 
The best way to grow as a disciple of Jesus is to be connected with other people within the body of Christ. You can't do it alone. It's not an option to do it alone. Why? Because God's got more. You cannot go through life alone. God never encouraged followers to try and do it by themselves. Matter of fact, it's important to remember this. Jesus taught the 5,000. He taught the 4,000. He did the Sermon on the Mount. He had the 72. He had the 12, and he had the three. But listen, there was always a group of people with him. Matter of fact, even before Jesus was crucified, what does he do? Yes, he went and spent some time in prayer alone, but listen, he was with a group of men, three disciples, who went to the garden with him. You and I are not called to do this alone or by ourselves. You can't go through the storms. You can't weather the trials. You can't stand up to the tests of life alone. You need others to walk with you. So we began to teach them That's very important. Matter of fact, there's a pastor named Kevin DeYoung who says it this way, the one indispensable requirement for producing godly, mature Christians is godly, mature Christians. In other words, and I've heard people say this in the past, well, I'm too old. Nobody's going to listen to me. I've got this. Do you want to know what a healthy church exists A healthy church is not made up of all old people. A healthy church is not made up of all young people. A healthy church is not made up of all kids. A healthy church is a multi-generational church that says, listen, I love Jesus so much that I love the next generation and I'm going to invest in them. We need every generation in the church in order to be successful because making disciples is a multi-generational thing. We need people who have been through the ringer, who have gone through the difficult storms and seasons and trials, who are older and wiser and learn to follow God in the midst of those difficulties to be able to speak into and encourage my life when I go through it. Because guess what? If you're going through it, most likely somebody's already done it as well. I look at it just with, with like I said, with my dad passing away. Man, when that hit, the first thing I had to do was go to the people who had lost somebody and go, man, I don't, I'm struggling. I don't know how to, can, can, to move forward. I don't know, but guess what? I had wise people who could point me right back to Jesus and say, listen, this is, this is how I got through it. So listen, effective discipleship takes place with others. Matter of fact, over the next couple of weeks, you're gonna start hearing about our discipleship programs. We're going to have life groups set up. Matter of fact, my wife and I are going to lead one on Tuesday nights. We're going to be going through the book of Romans. You can download the Right Now Media app right now. We're going to use part of that, and then we're going to be using the Bible. And we're going to go through the book of Romans on Tuesday night. Wednesday nights, we're going to have our our walk through the Bible. We're calling it the quest for the Bible for adults who are not serving in our kids' ministry. We would love to have you come and be a part of that. That's another form that you can get involved in and connected in so you can grow in discipleship. So effective discipleship takes place with others. That's teamwork. Number two, effective discipleship is built on obeying God's word. Listen to what he says in verse 31 and following again. It says he began to teach them. What does he teach them? That the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. That's the gospel. He tells them the gospel. He teaches them about his death, burial, and resurrection for the sins of all mankind. 
And that's exactly what we need in discipleship. And we've got to learn to apply that to our life and to live it out in every circumstance and situation. And so when we think about it this way, right, we do it with others, but we do it by obeying God's word. In other words, that's authority. So we had teamwork, and now we've got authority. What is the authority in my group? What is the authority in my life? It's God's word. Why? Because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus Christ, and it's his word that is the very thing that propels us and changes us. So Jesus speaks the truth of his word to his gospel, to his, his disciples, and the gospel is the thing that he proclaims. That Jesus had to suffer many things. Why did Jesus suffer? He suffered for the sins of mankind. Whether you believe you've sinned or not, you have. Whether you think that Jesus' death on the cross was the only thing that was necessary for salvation, it is. And Jesus points it out to the people, to his disciples, that he must suffer and he was going to be rejected and that he would uh, be rejected by these leaders and that he would be killed and then three days later he would rise again. There's that authority aspect. Jesus, listen, invites men to follow him, not as teacher, not as prophet, not even as a pattern of good life, but as Christ, the Son of God. And remember what he does with Peter. He praises Peter because Peter acknowledges him. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And here's what's crazy. Peter, after hearing this statement, right, rebukes Jesus. Peter just professed him as Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus tells him the good news of the gospel, that I'm going to die for the sins of all mankind. I'm going to be betrayed by these people. I'm going to die, and then uh, three days later, I'm going to rise again. And what does Peter do? No, 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 no. There's got to be a better way. And please hear me out when I say this. In discipleship, there is no better way. There is no other way. The only way to grow is to grow in the grace and knowledge and understanding of the gospel. That's what the Bible points out day in and day out, that I grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. So listen, we go back to Matthew chapter 28, the very last words that Jesus says to his disciples before going to heaven, right? Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them. So he lays this out. Effective discipleship, listen, rests on the foundation of the gospel. That Jesus died on the cross for our sins. That Jesus bore the weight and the burden of our sins. That Jesus died, that Jesus went to the grave, and that Jesus rose again. Making disciples of all nations, that's everyone. Baptizing, that's the idea of profession of faith that, that makes a public statement. But listen, teaching to obey all that God had commanded. That's what discipleship is. Is learning to follow Jesus in every way. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, if you don't know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer is, I would encourage you to read him. He's got a great book called The Cost of Discipleship. Now, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor theologian back in Germany in World War II that was executed because he stood up against the Nazi Germany, the, 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 the government portion of it. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his statement, says this, Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. 
Now you got to keep in mind, this man died for his faith because he called out the Nazis for what they were. Making disciples of Jesus, listen, is a direct overflow of the love and joy of being a disciple of Jesus. I go back to the oil spill, right? Me draining the oil. That overflow over the pan is in reality what should take place in our lives. As I am filled with the truth of God's love, my heart overflows naturally. Like, listen, we've programmatized everything. Is that even a word? I don't know. I'll make it up. We have made a program out of everything. And please hear me out when I say this. Listen, there's evangelism programs, there's discipleship programs, there's all these things, but I believe that most of the time our problem is this, that we think we've got to learn a program when the reality is we just got to learn God's Word. Because the more I take in of this into here, the more that's in here overflows into everyone who's around me out there. And then here's what's crazy about it. You don't stand back and go, well, what did you do? Because here's what happens with pastors. Your discipleship efforts are what? What are you guys doing? Like, can I tell you what's going on? When I told our, you know, if you were here a year and a half ago, September of, of whatever that would be, yeah, 2021, sorry. You would have been here with about 40 to 50 on average. And if you were here then, great, man, we love you. But if you're new and you've been here since then, you're, you're seeing more people. And I remember pastors going, what'd you do? And I was like, I don't know, we didn't do nothing. <laughs> like, what program were you using? What'd you? It's like, you know, like people started inviting people. Like people started showing up. It's like God was working and people were like, hey, we're, we like this. And that's what discipleship is. I'm not saying you don't have a plan or a purpose or a method, but we've got to go through God's word and we want to teach you those roles. But listen, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus makes that very clear. And so discipleship is simply doing this. I read God's word, I take in God's word, I apply it to my life, and listen, I begin to pour into other people. It takes part in a group under the authority of God's word. Number three is this, effective discipleship raises the bar. Here's where we don't like it. Because effective discipleship means I'm held accountable. And here's where the rubber meets the road for most people in the church. That person just called me out for sin. Yes. And please hear me out when I say this. I think there's an appropriate way to call somebody out for sin. If you got a relationship with them, and it's taking place in a group, and there's been this trust bond built, you have the right, right? With every deposit, you can make a withdrawal. But if you've never made a deposit in somebody's life, and all of a sudden you smack them upside the head with a big withdrawal, guess what they're going to tell you? Bro, you ain't got anything. You, you don't have a checkbook to be making that. Uh-uh. You're out. Discipleship is deposits in the lives of people you're investing in and loving in. And guess what? When you got more deposits than withdrawals, you got a positive what? Account. But if you're making more withdrawals than deposits, you got a negative balance. And we all know negative balances don't go well, do they? So I believe that when you address a person or an individual and you have the relationship connection, you have the ability to make larger withdrawals because you're calling a person out because you've 
called them to the higher standard. Because as you've been in discipleship with them, you are raising the bar. Why? Because it's not you raising the bar. It's the obedience to God, what we just read in Psalm 119. I would challenge you, matter of fact, this week to read above and beyond. Go home and read Psalm 119. I love it. It's probably one of my favorite psalms. Because it's all about applying God's word. God, I've seen you do this, and this is how I'm going to do it. Teach me your ways. Teach me your precepts. Teach me your laws so that I can be effective. Why? Because God's got more. Effective discipleship raises the bar. Now, you say, well, what are you talking about? Listen to verse 33. When Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, this is the part that would be uncomfortable. He rebuked Peter. He had just made a deposit in Peter's life, right? Peter, that's great. You call me the son of God. There's a deposit. Jesus tells Peter what he's going to do. Peter says, over my dead body, I'm going to rebuke you, Jesus. And Jesus in front of everybody. Man, this isn't something where Jesus pulled Peter off the side and went, now, Peter, you and I are going to have a talk. It says, Jesus turns and faces all the disciples. This would be like me bringing somebody up here on stage and be like, bro, you're out of line. Now, how many of you would like that? It wouldn't sit so well. But Jesus, it says right here, when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and he says, get behind me, Satan. Now, here's the reality. When we talk about raising the bar, here's the bar of what he's talking about. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. Discipleship is always focused on the things of God, not the things of man. Growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ is the desire to be obedient to God's word because God's word points to the things of God, not the things of man. God's word teaches me the truth about who God is and what God has called me to do, not the ways of man and what man says I should do. So I think about things like this. How do you think about the Bible? Jesus, sin, forgiveness. Or let's go a little bit step further. How do you think about education, politics, media, music, love, the earth, finances, marriage? All of those things are built upon God's word. So when I look at things, I begin to look through things with the lens of the Bible. That's why when people, I don't care where you stand, this is not a political statement, but this is going to be a statement, and I want you to understand this. When people tell me, oh, it's global warming, it's the end of the earth. All right. Scientifically, they try and prove it. Here's my biblical answer. What does the Bible say what's going to happen to the earth? It's going to die. No matter what we do, it's going to die. No matter what happens, Jesus at some point will return. And when Jesus returns, the old heaven and the old earth will be what? It's gone. And it says there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. So that's the promise. And as the earth continues to fail and fade, because listen, Romans says this, that all of creation groans, waiting for the Savior. So could I sit back and go, man, yeah, maybe global warming's true. It could be. Yeah. Let me be very clear, though. I don't believe that there's anything that we can do under the sun that's going to change the time or date with which Jesus is going to come back. It's not going to happen. Because the sovereignty of God rules over all things. The wisdom of man versus the wisdom of God. 
I also will tell you this, though, and I've said this before. To be under the authority and rule of God is also to be a good steward of what God has given. So there's the balance. That I am to be a good steward of everything that God has given in place because God has given me great blessings. Why? Because God has more. The process of making disciples is always a process of reprogram or deprogramming and reprogramming. I've said this before. When I went to boot camp, in boot camp they said this, everything you've been taught, forget it. Because we're going to teach you what we want you to be. And you're standing there going, I'm 18 years old, bro. You ain't teaching me nothing. And then you realize real quick, okay, maybe you are. (laughs) Right? That's the way it went. And that's the process of discipleship, to deprogram what for years my mind has told me. I need this fix. I need this situation. I need more of this addiction thing. When the Bible says, no, you need more of the bread of life. Why? Because man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God that I can stand against the tests and the trials because, listen, I stand under the authority of God's word and I know that I have a Savior that will walk me through every storm and every trial and every situation. And so, listen, discipleship is an accountability process, but it is a deprogramming of a mind that the world has taught me so many things and a reprogramming to, listen, to think the mind of God rather than the things of man. Verse 33. And then number four, effective discipleship, listen, is costly but worth it. So we said that there was teamwork involved. There's the authority of God's word involved. There's the accountability under the authority of God's word. And then number four, effective discipleship is costly but worth it. In other words, there is value. It is very valuable. If I want to grow, then I have to understand the value and importance of discipleship in my life. Listen to what he says. Verses 35. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life, listen, for me, in other words, for the sake of Jesus and for the gospel will save it. Verse 36, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? We desire for everyone to experience life, an abundant life. Why? Because God has more. God's got more than you can ask or imagine. God's got more blessing than you could ever begin to think of. God has more in store for you. God wants to see you multiply. God wants to see you make disciples. And listen, making disciples goes beyond just what takes place in the church. Making disciples means I can make a disciple at my work. I can make a disciple behind the counter. I can make my disciples. Matter of fact, I I will tell you one of the things I miss. I loved working on semis with my dad. But you know one of the things I miss the most? is when truckers would come in and go, man, they would seek me out. My dad would even say this at one point. I don't know why. I've been in this business 42 years, and they come in and see you now. They don't see me. And I was like, okay. But these guys would bypass my dad and come to me and be like, man, I'm struggling with pornography, and I need some help. And we'd have gospel conversations, and I would pray while I was covered in coveralls and grease and dirt from working on a semi. Why? Because it's called making a disciple. 
that in every way, shape, or form, whether it's banking or working on a vehicle or whatever your job is, that you are called to make disciples where you're at. And listen, you don't have to be one of those crazy dudes that's always shoving it down people's throats, but you do have to be a person who stands on the authority of God's word, who learns to listen and engage, who directs people to read God's word that that can speak the truth of God to those who are looking for hope when the world says there is no hope, there's no direction. See, God, listen, God turns every mess into a message. I've heard this quote before, and I'm going to tell you this. God turns every mess into a message, every test into a testimony. He turns every trial into a triumph and every victim into a victor. Through the grace of Jesus on the cross, you stand to earn and get more because God has more for you. The question then becomes this. Will you engage in the discipleship process? Will you engage in reading God's word more? Will you engage in getting connected in a group so that together, listen, together we come around each other, we support each other, we build each other up, all of us, like, I mean, we could go into so many things here, right? All of us have different gifts, talents, and abilities that God gave us. All of us are part of the body, and the body needs every part of the body working together so that we can accomplish more. So listen, discipleship is just that. I had thought about this, and I brought this up about like lifting and stuff a couple weeks ago, right? But if I have a target area that's not so developed, I got two options. I continue to neglect the target area. Maybe it's like chicken legs. Maybe it's my arms are a little skinny compared to my chest. I don't know, right? But if I've got a target area that I said, man, it's underdeveloped, then what do I do? I develop that target area. And listen, in the body, it's the same way. It takes every part of the body to get the body to be strong. Without one part, we miss out on another. We miss out on the benefit and the blessing of everything else is going on. So I may have a strong bicep, but I may have a weak calf or weak quads. Like I kind of joked about it, but I remember seeing guys all the time when I was lifting big old huge, they'd be like, something I could never be. And then I'd see their legs and I'm like, dude, your legs are like the size of mine. That's a problem, (laughs) right? And hear me out. Effective discipleship says, hey, listen, where I'm weak here, I'm gonna strengthen that up. But guess what? It takes a group. It takes connection. It takes being part of the body. It takes being a part of growing in the grace and knowledge together so that you can accomplish great things. See, discipleship is the process of growing in our relationship with Jesus as we grow with others as well. And the response of a disciple is obedience in action, not just a confession of faith. That's why James says it this way, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Discipleship is the call to obedience. Discipleship isn't for beginners alone. It's for every believer in every day of their life. Every day of our life. Discipleship isn't just the one of the things that the church does. It is what the church does. And so hear me out when I say this. Over the next couple weeks, you're going to get more and more information about this. But we want to motivate you. We want to help you. We want to encourage you. We all need each other to rise up. Listen, to rise up, to take responsibility for our discipleship, right? But then grow together as a group. 
to grow together as a church. And please hear me out when I say this, because I love that picture. But together, when we're all working out together, when we're all developing, when we're all growing, there's going to be a little bit of slop and mess and spill over, right? But guess what? We come around each other and we help each other clean up and we help get some, listen, we get everything on the road so it can accomplish what it was set out to do in the first place. The church was not meant to stay in the shop. The church was meant to drive the road. The church was meant to deliver the good news of the gospel to those who are perishing, who have never heard. And guess what? It is your role and my role to be a part of that. So let's pray. Father, we pray that you would work in great ways, that God, you would call us out, that God, maybe there are some today who would say, hey, maybe, maybe you're calling me to lead a small group, a life group. I can, I can do that. If it's just reading God's word and begin to discuss and how do we apply it, I can do that. I would love to do that. Maybe it's that. God, maybe it's a simple fact of somebody who needs to commit to being a part of a life group here in the church to say, hey, I want to grow. I want to know more. I want to follow Jesus day in and day out in every way, shape, or form. What is God calling you to do? Maybe today, it's just a simple fact that you have never placed your faith and trust. Remember, discipleship is more than a confession of faith. Discipleship is a choice to say, I will live my life for Jesus from day one. I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe he rose again, and I believe he offers me life and life more abundantly. I believe that his death on the cross paid for my sins. And I want to experience the more that God's got for me. You can only do that by starting a relationship with Jesus first and foremost. So as we stand, as we close with this song, what is God calling you to do? And here's how we want you to respond. You can respond on a connection card. You can come up and let us know. But our motivation today is this, that we become a church that is focused on pushing each other deeper into the faith of Jesus, further out into the recesses of the world to take the gospel to those who have never responded. And the only way that takes place is as we grow together in discipleship. God, you deserve all things. You deserve all honor and all glory. May my bones cry out for the goodness of the gospel because I don't want to gain the whole world and lose my soul. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.